Hello, welcome to the Multitask. I'm John Moore. It's your boy Friday. What's going on, guys? So, Tim Scott, or as I call him, Tom Scott, if you follow me on Twitter, folks, I, I write Tom Scott, Tom Scott, and in the parentheses I put, not a typo. Uh, Tom Scott uh, did, did, did the reply to, George, uh, to Joe Biden's presidential address, and let's just say that black America didn't love it the same way that I won't even say white America, but Republican white America, who just thought it was a really, really great speech. Uh, Fadi, what, 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 what was your reaction to Tim Scott's eloquence, should I say? Well, they uh, they announced it. It wasn't like a surprise, right? They had announced it before that. Uh, and just so people know, there's always a response from the other party when a president makes kind of one of these addresses, and it's always kind of pre-announced and, and pre-set up. Um, they, from what I from what I gather, the Republicans felt like Biden was going to be um, woke, super left, that whole thing, and they wanted to send out Tim Scott as an example to say, "Look, that's not us, right? Biden's just lying." So, look, there's a lot of the conversation I can't really take part in. Obviously, uh, Black Twitter and and. And um, the, that whole thing was fun to watch as an outsider. Um, and Meghan McCain, the backlash to Meghan McCain, I, I always like when that happens to her. So it was just fun to watch. I, I expected all of it to kind of, it was all predictable. Well, first of all, just, you know, I am going to give you space to talk about it. And I'll tell you what, and it won't be just, it won't be the space that, oh, I'm giving you permission to say something that's going to piss off everybody else. I'll show you how I'll create yeah, space yeah. for you to talk about it. But the one thing that irked the hell out of me was the fact that he was given, and this is the one thing we've always said about back black Republicans, um, and this might be the same with Arab Republicans, with gay Republicans, even female Republicans, you will realize that oftentimes those Republicans who belong to oftentimes marginalized groups, they're less there to recruit that marginalized group into the party, and they're more there to let white people know Oh, we're not racist. We're not homophobic. We're not bigot. We're not. We're not Islamophobic. We're not anti-Arab. Right? Is the reality is is that a lot of times Republicans who belong to marginalized groups they spend a significant amount of time basically giving white people permission not to view the Republican Party for the bigotry that it practices. How do you like that lane I set up for you? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, look, this isn't like new, right? Like, from what I understand, 35% of Arab Americans voted for Trump. Um, a good 10, 15% of black men voted for Trump. There was a big, big surge of, of the Hispanics in this country who voted for Trump. Like, Tim Scott isn't an outlier, right? But as far as like being an elected leader, um, but you're right, right? Like, they exist to be the. The, the, the example, the 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 token, if you will, um, at the front of the store that that people come and, and walk by. So the Republicans can say, "Look at us." Meanwhile, every Trump signing, every Trump event, n none of those people are there, right? And uh, historically, remember, you remember Trump when he was at that event, and he's like, "Look at my black voter right there," or whatever he said in the in the crowd. It's my black um, guy. Where's my black look, guy? Yeah. <laughs> They look at the one, two black or Hispanic people in the crowd as uh, tokens, and they see it as a bigger sign that they're okay. But obviously, the the GOP is full of just blatant racism and xenophobia and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely 100% on the money. And one of the things that happened, and that I think was really frustrating, um, and it's it's been frustrating even in the aftermath, 
is one of his main objectives was to basically say the Republican Party is not racist. Now, first of all, he kept on talking about being black, being black, being black. Have you ever noticed that uh, black Democrats don't talk about being black as much as black Republicans do? I granted, black Democrats deal with policy issues that impact the black community, and they do talk about their lived experience, but they're not utilizing it as a shield, whereas Tim Scott was, or Tom Scott, was definitely using it as a shield, where he was there to insulate the Republican Party against racism. And one of the things that I had, I thought Biden was very forthright, but one of the things that's really tough is that black Democrats oftentimes, and Kamala kind of got into it um, afterwards, Black Democrats often have to sometimes downplay how racist things are. They're not going to go ahead and say there's not racism. But when Kamala was asked, is America a racist country, she had to give a very nuanced no, right? And the reality is is that um, I hate the fact that the media is asking that question because the reality is, is that racism and the problems that impact racism and bigotry, let's go back to anti Arabic, anti-Islam, anti-gay, a lot of those things are not fully addressed in a soundbite in social media. Those are deep discussions. And just going ahead and asking a black elected official, especially the vice president of the United States, is America a racist country? It's not really a fair question. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. And and it's unfair to ask Kamala that. You should really ask Kevin McCarthy and Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell that because they seem to be so anti-against that. Um, I wanted to touch on something you said was this idea that is this country racist? The, Lindsey Graham, I don't know if you saw this, Lindsey Graham was, I think, on Hannity or Tucker, and he said, we had Barack Obama. This country is not racist. And it's like the one guy that, the one guy who's black, who was president that you said wasn't from here, that you said was a Kenyan Muslim, that you demanded to see his birth certificate, um, that at rallies was Obama, um, mannequins hung up by a noose. The response to a black president was that. So that should tell you all you need to know. It's not about whether you could get there or not, because Technically, you can get there. It's all about the, the obstacles and the steps along the way. And then when you do get there, what's the response from the country? Trump is the antithesis of Obama. And Trump is a direct seed from the hatred that the, the right had for Obama. That's that's clear cut to me, right? Trump was birthed because people hated the fact that the black or that Obama was the first black president. So this country is history is full of that. And, and that's undoubtedly true. Um, we have to stop asking the people who um, are facing the racism whether this country is racist. And we should start looking at um, – it's interesting. Like This country is so – this country is not that young anymore, right? It has a long history now, and we know a lot of it. And so the the, the game that the GOP is trying to play, even, even just going back to January 6th, how they're trying to whitewash everything, like – that's also part of our history is to go back and slavery is downplayed in our education system. All this stuff was downplayed in our education system. And you're seeing that kind of public public um, effect happen because not a lot of people understand the history in, in full. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But the one thing I will tell you is, no, don't ask Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell about racism <laughs> because they'll deny it. Um, and I do think you should ask the people impacted by it. But don't just ask, you know, what I would say is, don't put us on the spot with it, right? Don't put us on the spot 
where you're going to ask someone that question in a format in which you know that they can't go deep and more importantly is in a in that yeah. press environment the maybe ask them in a live situation where you can get the whole piece but don't answer me in this in a format where you can easily edit my answer right um mm-hmm. but but i i mean i do think the reality is is that we have to be very mindful of the fact that um the discussions we we need to be modeling good discussions on bigotry not just racism but all the isms homophobia sexism anti-islamophobia um anti-arabic anti you know uh women misogyny um even you know uh, religious anti-semitism we need to be modeling better behavior and right now our media is not the good format to do that right it, it maybe I, we should probably see something in the space of documentaries or longer form media but right now and don't forget, and this is something that's really important too, and this goes back to the discussion we were having before we started recording today, was even like with wokeness. Do you realize that the people who control the media, and I'm not naming anybody because there's there's different producers at every different TV station, different hosts, but do you realize that their image of black America, of Latino America, or Arabic, that's what you see? So can you imagine what the discussion would be, and we're going to talk about this a little later, about some of those issues if it wasn't D-Ray and, and, and um, some of the other folks that were once talking about police violence. And these would be people who would also be against police violence. But you realize that, say, if I had been the spokesperson, you know, it's, a, it's an issue I take seriously, say, but I might be articulating it completely different. But and it's and it's And it goes back to why... We have to. We make sure when we're talking about bigotry, we talk about racism. Uh, it you need to have multiple voices from those impacted groups because they all have different perspectives, and that's one advantage that Democrats have have over Republicans is there's two or maybe three black Republicans on Capitol Hill, one in the Senate, I think two in the House, and with Democrats you can pull multiple people who have all a same shared general experience, but have elements. Right, so you're going to hear a James Clyburn or a Cedric Richmond being against the fund of police, but you might hear a Jamal Bauman and uh, a Ilhan Omar who will be like, "No, we need to say to fund the police." Right, and so what we need to be able to do when we're talking about issues of race and gender and everything, we need to have multiple voices from those impacted communities because the two or three voices that they put out of any, for any particular community, not just the black community they oftentimes shape everyone's image uh, who doesn't belong to that community or doesn't have a good familiarity with that community of how that community feels about any issue. I'm sure there's issues that you've seen for groups that you are not necessarily a member of, but you're very close to, and sometimes you're like, does this person hang out with the same people I hang out with? I mean, do you, I mean, and how do you feel about Arab representation? I mean, are the, do you think that, and I don't like when you use the word the right, but is there enough diversity of Arab voices on there, or do you sometimes feel that the Arab voices that are put on TV don't necessarily reflect what's going on in the larger Arab American community? The, well, that's such a, like a, a deep question because there's a lot of different types of Arabs that are not necessarily representing of me, right? I come from the Middle East, but there's there's Arab people in Egypt and and 
Turkey and all these different countries that really have no connection to me, right? In any single way, we look completely different, have different religions, speak different langu languages. So when when there's a there's a immigration happening over the over the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s of these people, um, they're really they're really different. Does that make sense? I I could be an Arab American and there's another Arab American that's just from a completely different country that speaks a completely different language that has a completely different culture than I do. And there's also this idea of religion, right? A lot of people feel like Arab Americans are all Muslim. It's not true, right? A lot of the Arab community in this country is also Christian, right? But that's also a big disconnect because I could be Arab from one country and another country and have a completely different religion. It's just, it's, it's rare that you kind of find that within America. So I, to answer your question, no, across the board, right? There isn't enough representation across the board, but I also will say that for Asian Americans and also for Indian Americans and all that stuff. So look, we have a lot of work to do. Not that, not that we all have a totem pole, but I just feel like we're working on so many different problems that it, um, it's just, there's going to just have to be progress. It's slow. I, I'm sorry, I don't know if I answered your question at all. No, no, you answered my question, and I think one of the things that's... And I think it's probably because there's only a limited amount of bandwidth on TV every day, right? On, yeah. on radio every day. Um, so I think what we should be doing is telling folks, uh, or the, the gatekeepers should, be, should realize that we're putting a black voice, a Arab voice, a, not yeah. the, right? And I think mm -hmm. that whenever we... And, and I think that the producers and those gatekeepers have a responsibility to make sure that this is a voice and that the only voice and kind of switch it up. I mean, I know you like, when I say you, I'm talking about the producers, you, 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 you'd like to go ahead and have the same voices over and over again. But then the reality is, is that do you realize, and I think we've talked about this in previous shows is that a significant portion of any community um, does not have a lot of friends that belong to another community. So then for many people, the black folks, the Arab folks, the gay folks that get are on TV all the time are the ones who are shaping the people who are not members of that community's image mm -hmm. of that community, right? Um, I'll never forget, you know, what's funny is I'm very close to, you know, a member of Congress and a lot of people want her to be just like Maxine Waters. She's not like Maxine Waters, but that's the Maxine Waters fits an image that a lot of black white folks like to have of black folks. And we love Maxine, but the reality is is that we're not all Maxine. Or remember a lot of people wanted Barack to be Mr. Badass, you know, you know, angry black man. That's not Barack's style. So I think one, yeah. I, but I think that's what happens is that when you are fed an image and so you know, I think everybody just assumes that black people are all extremely woke and militant where the majority of black folks are kind of nuanced. And you and I talked about, uh, before we went on today, we talked about an article that the Tribune did about the, uh, the community in Little Village, which is torn because Adam Toledo died and he died an unjust death. But there's a significant number of people in that community who want to also hold the gangs uh, accountable, questioning the parenting and all that other stuff. And the thing is, is if you and I uh, make, and we're not members of that community, right? If you and I were to make any of those statements, especially in the social media space, we would be dragged, 
right? Um, and and so it's like it's like a nuance. But you know what's right? It's really funny. Have you ever talked to folks? Is we all know like how people sort of view how America has a very pro-Israel stance. Do you know that in Israel that the Israelis are not as pro-Israel as we are? I mean, they are. It's yeah. their country. But but you know what I'm saying is that there's a lot more. There's a lot more um, discussion and diversity of opinion from Israelis on how best to handle a situation, right? So I think that, I mean, I see that all the time. Yeah, but I will also say that this, the government of the United States is pro-Israel. I'm not sure that the citizens of this country are as pro-Israel as the government is. So sometimes there's nuance there, right, where... Um, you know, it's interesting being on forums online and Reddit and all, all these things. The, the misconceptions that uh, people have about America is, is different from the government and the citizens. You know what I mean? Um, so there's nuance there. I also want to say, like, where your Maxine argument is, it's the same thing with, with Kamala, right? Uh, people expect a uh, certain person, Kamala to be a certain person. She just doesn't kind of fit any of those holes. And so I think there's a lot of kind of um, confusion there as well. But can I ask you a question? What do you think my worry with these nuanced conversations is that when we have these kind of collegiate um, intellectual kind of debates, there's always going to be the Ben Shapiro and the Tucker Carlson who are th their version on the right of our kind of smart, intelligent people. They're not as smart because they don't deal with as many facts, but Tucker and uh, Ben Shapiro and guys like Joe Rogan, right? Like, even though he's not on that kind of same level, they kind of have cult followings. And, and people who are going to be 12, 11 years old are going to follow Ben Shapiro down down a dark alley. So how do you think we fight that? Because in order for this country to truly, truly move on, we have to do similar to what Germany did with, with the Nazis in the, in the 40s was they taught that. And they taught the evilness of it, and they sussed it out as kids were growing up in the school system. Slavery is extremely whitewashed in this country. Not only that, but we saw with Trump and his administration try to even whitewash it even more, right? So how do you think we, we could get to that point where we're having nuanced conversations? Because there's always going to be the, the antithesis of that. Well, I mean, I think one of the things we have to do is we have to, and this is tough for me, um, is I've always said that racism is kind of like, or, or let's just say, let's say bigotry, right? So let's expand beyond just black, white, let's just say bigotry. It's almost like a form of alcoholism. Um, you know that a person who's an addict, whether it's to alcohol or drugs or what have you, can't get help, can't get fixed until what? They admit they have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Secondly, even when they are in recovery, they could still, they're always still one drink away from from being an alcoholic well they're just you know from you know going into a bender or whatever well bigotry's the same way you know when everything is fine it's easier we have less bigotry but when things are bad we start blaming the other guy and one of the things and this will hit close to home for you is um black folks hate racial profiling we hate racial profiling after 9-11 Black folks were all for profiling Arab Americans. And so what I'm telling you is that one of the things that we have to realize 
is that we are all have some form of biases and prejudice and we have to realize and we have to admit that right and we have to work at that but then i also wonder though if i called someone if you and i had a white guy that we liked but the dude was a bigot and he was a racist and you and i both have white guys that we like who are bigots and racists right that that are, you know because we didn't know him in the bigger racist space but you know whether you know you, you you did a film with the guy or i did a project with the guy and you had beers and the subjects of their bigotry never came up and in one well, now you've invested a little bit in that friendship and that, that relationship, and all of a sudden they've said some bigoted stuff. You're like, whoa, right? Um, mm -hmm. I wonder if outing a per someone as a bigot should be a death sentence, or should we give them space to not be a bigot, but to rehabilitate, right? To, to you know, because you're talking about the Ben Shapiro's and Joe Rogan's. So my question is, first of all, I think there's some people out there who don't deserve any rehabilitation. But the the guy that listens to Ben Shapiro, the guy that listens to Joe Rogan, who might otherwise be a decent guy, we slap their hands. We hold them accountable, but do we but we don't want to go ahead and just say you're banished. I think that's where I think that's how we deal with it. Does that does that make any sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And that's that's what I've that's the route I've personally took in my personal life is the, the, the wrong route, like, well, what you're saying is the wrong route is when I find out anybody who is like a Trump, a Trumper or anti LBGTQ or any of that stuff, I tend to just say, all right, we're done here because my existence or my friend's existence isn't going to be a question for me. So it's just cut and dry for me. That, that, I think that's the general feeling because of this. It's easy to slap their hand and try to rehabilitate them. But their re rehabilitation is coming at a cost of, of, of a toll that is taken on everybody else. Does that make sense? So we're in this country now, this, as everybody likes to call it, the American experiment. And we're hundreds of years in. We still have to try to convince people that black people deserve the right to vote, right? So it's like, at what point do we, we say, no, that's it. You're not a functioning part of society. You have to go over here because we're actually trying to govern. You know, you, do you know what I mean? So uh, how much patience, how much leeway do we give people? Well, the only question, I, I agree, but here's the thing. Is that, is, are we pushing them all of a sudden into the white supremacist camp? What I mean by that is, I'm, again, Were I'm they not going there anyways? <laughs> yeah, they may have been going there anyways, but, but okay. I recently lost a political race. And one of the things that we've talked about is that there's a lot of people in the community I live in. There's two extremes. There's a good government side, which I believe I belong to, and there's a bad government side. Um, in a previous election, um, not enough people sided with the good government side. They were not necessarily bad government people, but they did not side with the good government side. We, the, Some of the people who led the good government side cut those people off. By cutting them off, guess what became their only option? the bad government side do you see what i'm saying is is yeah. so i i hear what you're saying but if we don't cut off those people that are in the middle that just sided with them on the last one we basically handed them over to the other side in this last election right where maybe if we created space for them to to grow to change to develop maybe some of them would have come our way and i so I, that's that's kind of my issue there is that I don't disagree, but 
if you've got that like 17 year old kid who does something racist who in pre-social media and everything else he might have just been like ostracized in this community but when he goes to college he realizes he made a mistake and he starts befriending black and arabic people you know that's one thing but <laughs> that's the kid did he say something racist when he's not really racist or did he say something racist and he's not really racist but we're going to shut him down and the only people that will hang out with him are not a white supremacist that's my fear that's my concern is that i don't disagree but are we um denying the opportunity of rehabilitation to some folks who could otherwise be rehabilitated does that make sense no it makes perfect sense it's a slippery slope for sure um We've talked about this before on this podcast. We're headed to a country that's um, polarizing in the sense that you're going to have to pick a side, right? Trump made it so that you have to be vocal. You have to have an opinion. You have to pick a side. There was people who might have not liked Obama, might have not liked Romney or McCain. They might have not liked politics who didn't vote. And they're just like, look, I want everybody to live their life. Cool story. Trump made it so you can you have to be either with him or against him, you know? And I think it's going to continue that way. I don't think it's going to kind of go back to normal. So we're going to kind of see how this goes because there's going to be a lot of picking of sides lately. And and, and we might lose a bunch of, of people to the white supremacy group because that's very popular right now. Right. Now I will take this opportunity to, to go in that one discussion, my one side discussion about Uncle Tom, Tim Scott. Um, I will tell you... Um, and I'm, I appreciate what you said earlier, and hopefully there won't be the issue, but I will give you that space in the Arabic community if there's ever a similar type issue. Um, white folks, especially conservative white folks, stay out of black people's business. Many of us in the black community believe that there are certain individuals, many of them Republicans, who are Uncle Toms. And please do not go ahead, and it's kind of like the N-word. It's, it's just like the N-word. We can say it amongst ourselves. These are internal discussions. And there are many people in the black community who don't even like black people saying it amongst, them, amongst ourselves. And I will listen to them. But what I will not listen to is a Meghan McCain on The View telling me that we shouldn't be calling him an Uncle Tom or all this other stuff. This is internal black discussions. And I think Tim Scott, because people are gullible, has done a very good job of making it seem like it's, it's Fadi and other non-black progressives who are calling him Uncle Tom. And yeah, there are some non-black progressives who get a little comfortable in the social media space and go ahead and do it. You guys stop too. You're just as bad as Republicans. There's certain things that only... It's kind of like family. Would you agree with this? You have siblings. I'm sure yeah. you've had some hellacious battles with your siblings. And you can come at them a certain way. And if someone else came at your sibling the same way you came at them, you're now all of a sudden defending your sibling and you got a problem with this other person. Am I correct? Yeah, 100%. And so, and, and so yes, folks, many black people believe that Tim Scott, if, if, if it's not as, as Uncle Tom, he's an Uncle Remus for those of you, or uh, um, what's his name? Uncle Ruckus, for, for those of you who watch the Boondocks. Uh, he is uh, whatever Sam Jackson's character was in Django Unchained. Um, he is literally an embarrassment to the black community. My favorite was they were interviewing um, uh, Hakeem Jeffries. He's the chair of the uh, Democratic Caucus in the Congress. 
and Tiffany Tiffany Cross asked him about uh, Tim Scott. He said he was out of pocket. Um, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people for black folks who know the damage that racism, especially racism that oftentimes emanates from the Republican Party and the Republican voters. Um, and knows the damage it does to our community and denies that damage. And will go ahead and be party two. And he was very defensive of the the, the laws in Georgia that, that make it harder to vote. People who sell out their own people are the worst people. And I think it's a little tricky because I do want to allow space for blacks to be conservative. I mean, it's not that I have to allow it. They're going to be, Right. So I don't want to get into that, by nature, you're a black Republican, you are an Uncle Tom. Colin Powell has never left the Republican Party. He's not an Uncle Tom. He has spoken up and he has pushed back whenever the party does racist stuff, right? So the reality is, is that you do not have to sell out your people to be a good Republican. Um, but there are people like Tim Scott, Tom Scott, who... Please don't defend, and more importantly, do not, Megan McCain and all the other people, do not go ahead and let this guy play, make himself into a victim. He is selling his people out. Now, we might not, we might think Uncle Tom's too harsh or what have you, but the reality is, is there's a lot of public policy that is needed to protect the black community and provide opportunity for the black community. And this man, this, well, less than a man, Go, takes every opportunity to to create problems for us when we do that. So, yeah, he deserves all the hate. And I'm sorry if it offends you, but as we used to say back in the late 80s, it's a black thing you don't understand. So now yeah, welcome yeah, back to the I, conversation, I, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the only thing I can say to that is simple as an ally to the... Here's what I will say to allies to the black community that aren't black is... Something I learned along the way, something I've learned from you and just, just trying to be the best ally I can be to that community is um, you just, you let them take care of their problems. That's it. And that goes for everything, right? Is you don't have a voice in them trying to progress. You might have an opinion and you might try to do work to help them, but you don't do that work to black people. Megan McCain, go text your white friends and talk to them about it. Go text your uh, right wing husband about it. Don't come at black people for uh, try to police their own behavior. So that's that's the only thing I have to say about that conversation is um, just stay out of it. If you just walk in on the street, you wouldn't stop and join an argument that's happening between some people. So just keep it moving and 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 shut up is the only thing I can well, say. Well, and, and just so you know, and I appreciate the space you're giving me, but let's talk it in general terms about just communities that we are allies with, but we don't belong to. I have yeah. I, how many times have you seen our our LGBT friends on Twitter going at it or having discussions that only LGBT people can have with other LGBT. And how many times have I even typed a response and then I'm like, because you know what? I'm not a member of that community. And whatever I say, it might land right, but it might not land right. But regardless, what makes me think I'm entitled to participate in the discussion on something that is obviously, um, and sometimes it's not even controversial, it's just humor, right? And and, right. and and the humor that people who belong to any group, I'm sure, 
I'm sure within the Arab community, there's some Arab humor that you guys can play with one another. That if I were to just jump in in the discussion between this community and that community, I'm going to not land that plane right, am I? I mean, it's just because I can be tight with everybody, but at the end of the day, I'm not I, a member of that community. I don't, know if I don't know if your plane metaphor was on purpose or not. <laughs> no, it was not. You're making the joke. I'm not. See, that's the best part. See, I can't laugh at that joke. You can. You can. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, right? It, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, look, if the way it's like this, if you're invited to the cookout, doesn't mean you get a seat at the table, right? You don't get to decide the menu. Come eat, rock, and then go home and just stay out of it. That's that's the simple part of it. That's how I try to be an ally as much as I can. I've learned that, right? I've made mistakes in the past, but same thing with the Caitlyn Jenner thing, right? Like that's the, the part of the trans community. She came out, wants to run for California governor. I want to make fun of her, but I'm making fun of her because she's a Republican, right? I don't want to make fun of her for any other reason. So it's the same right. thing, right? If if the trans community wants to come out and make fun of her, oh, hey, whatever. Not, it has nothing to do with me. I'm well, just making fun of her because she's a Republican. She's a so Republican. that's how I look at it. Exactly. 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 So, you know, one of the things that, one reason why we talked about Tim Scott, uh, Tom Scott, Tim Scott, Uncle Tom, Uncle Tim, <laughs> whatever we want to call him, and yes, play this in rotation, um, was he was reacting to Joe Biden's speech. What did you think of Biden's speech? Yeah. What did you think? I thought it was very powerful. It, it's very interesting. I think Chris Hayes commented on it on Twitter saying, it's kind of rare to have a presidential address 100 days in with this many things that you could kind of pat yourself on the back about, right? He came in, executive orders, uh, joined the Paris Climate Agreement, COVID relief, infrastructure bill, Amer America first plan. It was like just one thing after other after another. And then there's also results, right? We saw 100 million people get vaccinated fully, uh, over 200 billion, 220 million shots in 100 days. Um, those are all kind of rare accomplishments that a president can be like, look, look what we accomplished in 100 days. You put me in office. You helped get me Georgia. You helped me get me the slim majority. Look what we were able to do in just 100 days. And so it, I, I was just kind of like emotional about it because, one, it was just the normalcy of it. I knew that he was not going to make news and that I could have not watched it and nothing would have happened. You know what I mean? Whereas the previous guy was just like, only I could do it. I'm the greatest president in the history of the world. I've done the most things for the for the black community. And it was just like all, like we saw right through it, right? And so with this, it was just like he was laying out accomplishments. He was talking normal. He was empathetic. And he was just saying, we're going to get back here. It's just going to take time. And and I just enjoyed it. I, I thought it was great. I thought it was a, a good moment for Biden to, to come in in 100 days with, with that much strength. Yeah, and you know, what what was emotional for me was just that opening shot of him with Nancy yeah, Pelosi yeah. and Kamala behind him. I, I mean, that's just... Um, the only other shot that's going to be better is when it's Kamala with Vice President uh, Buttigieg, Buttigieg and uh, House Speaker of the House, Hakeem Jeffries. That's my next it's one. Gonna when, when you have... <laughs> It's gonna. It's gotta be Pete. It's gotta be Pete no. for his LGBT. I'm, I'm looking at. President. I'm looking at uh, Julian Castro from Texas. Well, you know. Well, you know. Actually, be even more historic. You know what my. You know what my dad loves as Kamala's running mate is uh, Sherrod Brown. He just. He thinks that Kamala Sherrod Brown would just be an amazing ticket. Um, nice. But that being said, though, um, it was it was a great great moment. Um, 
it was good to have a president who you really felt cared about America, didn't make it about him. His style was really was really good. The way he hung out in the well and talked to people, asked them how their parents were. But yeah, the the messages, the 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 ability to talk, and you know, the thing is, um, one of the things that happened this week is, and it's something we have to talk about, and it goes back to my problem with Tom Scott, is the reality is is that Republicans have just sunk to a new lows, and we had a week, the week of 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 the president's address, where they were literally elected officials. We're claiming that we were cutting off the beef supply or something crazy about like that. And then they were also right. claiming that uh, Kamala's book was being placed in, uh, um, you know, camps for, for ch- uh, ch- child immigrants, right? Um, it's, it's so disappointing seeing what the Republicans... And, and it goes back to Tom Scott's um, address, he never really truly addressed what Biden said truthfully. Can we get to the point to where they'd say, yeah, let's agree on the facts and then have a differing opinion of those facts. But right now, the Republicans, in their response to Biden, in their response to Harris, they are making up a wholly, completely different reality that doesn't exist. And that was probably the worst part about uh, Scott's reaction and overall Republican reaction to Biden's speech this week. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree with you more. We're, we're at a point now where the Republicans are so down the Trump playbook. Republicans want a culture war, right? They want something that to rally their base around. And Trump started this, I don't know if you remember the 2016 election with the caravan, right? All, that never never existed. He tried to do it again in 2018 before the, before the blue wave. They try to do it again with 2020, right? Biden's going to shut everything down. He's going to close all the schools. And it was just, they are trying to have a cultural war. They want the narrative. The first month of Biden's presidency, it was uh, the border crisis. And we saw that performative bullshit by Ted Cruz and all that stuff, right? The second month, it was, um, we're spending too much money. The debt crisis, boom, 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 right? Which they didn't care about for five years. Last month, it was... Biden wants you to have, Biden wants you to be a vegan and we're going to go completely green as a country. All of this stuff is made up, but the Republicans need something to rally their base around because as everybody on Twitter com- continues to point out, Biden is mastering the mark. Remember, John, can I just talk about something really quick? Remember I told you there should be a marketing guru part of the cabinet because Obama did a lot of things that they, they couldn't like walk down and pat themselves on the back about. Biden's messaging on all these things is completely on point and it goes against everything the Republicans believe in, right? It, when Republicans say we're spending too much money, Biden says, when does America think small, right? And when Biden says, um, we have to, when the Republicans are like, Biden's going to ruin the, the, the coal industry and boom, 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 Biden's like, I'm going to create 19 million jobs. Do, do you guys want none of those jobs? Are they all blue jobs, right? So the messaging here is is right on point. Republicans have no answer for it. I don't know if it's going to translate to 2022, but I do know that the Republicans have no answer. That's never good. Well, I'll tell you, and I'm going to hold something up to the camera here. I'm not sure if they're reading this book. Uh, this is a book called Don't Think of an Elephant. George Lakoff, and I will tell you if you have, have you ever shared this with you. George Lakoff is no. the progressive or Democratic 
uh, messaging guru Obama used them, and I think Biden might be using them as well. But I will tell you that this, uh, I would not be surprised if Biden's not following this book, Don't Think of an Elephant. Um, and they literally talk about some of the overall ways that you message, and you make sure that you use your own language, you don't use your opponent's language, you kind of always change the frame. So, you know, it's kind of like... Um, the reality is if I ask you why you don't like blue, you talk to me about why you like red as opposed to even addressing my question. I mean, it's it's a really... Biden is masterful. Um, and don't forget, you got people like Jen Psaki and other people who are Obama alums. Who who who, mm-hmm. who who are who are running who are running that shop and I think they're very effective in that. But you know, one of the things that I think is important to know too is that Biden does not get enough credit even from progressives for just being an overall skilled politician who understands yeah. what you need to do and how to do it. And I think that, you know, there's something about the wisdom that he brings. There's something about the experience. And I also, you know, and I said this previously, I also think that in many ways he has more space to take risks than Obama ever had. Whether it's because Trump was such a mess, it was such a, was so problematic, whether it's that there's a white male privilege that Biden enjoys, right, that we won't begrudge here. But I think that in many, and as we said last week, I wouldn't be surprised if he and Barack aren't collaborating on some of this stuff, right? Um, if, if this, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to disrespect Biden by saying this is a third Obama term, but I also wonder if some of the things he's doing right is because of his eight years as Obama's vice president and what he actually learned from Obama. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's good. You know, one thing that Biden doesn't have is he does not have a whole bunch of attorneys who are in legal trouble. And one of the things mm-hmm. that happened this week is Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani uh, got a visit uh, from the feds. Uh, what did you think when you heard about uh, that that raid on 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 Rudy this week? It's just five years coming, um, John. Can I? Can I? Do you? By the way, for people who don't know, Rudy's in trouble with the whole Ukraine thing, which is going dates back to kind of 2015, 2016. It almost kind of predrains Trump a little bit. This has nothing to do with Biden, with Hunter Biden. It has nothing to do with that, which is hilarious. I don't know if you heard this. When the feds are in there and they're searching his house, he's like trying to give them the Hunter Biden hard drives. And they're like, I don't think, are you a lawyer? Because I don't think you understand how warrants work. We just can't take stuff that we want um, that are non-existent. I listened to Hunter Biden. I don't know if I told you this was on the Mark Marin podcast. For, this is kind of the first time he's spoken after... I think politically Biden was smart to kind of put him away for the election. Didn't want him to talk and not because he can't handle himself because he was just like, this is nothing. So just go away, chill for a year. Let me win this. And then you could kind of, he has a book coming out and Hunter did a podcast where he talks about his past addictions and he talks about the Ukraine thing very openly. I didn't know this, right? I originally thought all of this was kind of just made up stuff by Rudy and everything. This was planted by Russia in Ukraine for Rudy and Trump. I don't, do you know this part? Because I just yeah, really heard, discovered yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when Hunter took a job in Ukraine, he was under the pretenses that it was legit. But the whole time it was Russia 
feeding him mis feeding Ukraine misinformation. And that's why Rudy had the laptop and everything. It was all through Russia. And I, I say that because Rudy's not in trouble because of any of that stuff. But I say that to say Rudy's very, very ingrained in Ukraine. And remember, Trump got impeached for first time because of the shady things with Ukraine. So all of this smoke, I believe, is a f not only a fire, but a five alarm forest fire because there's no way they took there was a one lady who was Rudy's neighbor who was like they took so much stuff I just think Rudy's not that smart we saw him text message the wrong people sometimes so I just think this is all going to be the start of the downfall maybe one of my predictions is coming true from the year well you know it, it's it goes to show just how the Republicans for years have this these images that they have of Democrats of being corrupt or this, and it's them. They're just as bad. It's projection. You know, as, as I've said before, I'm not a big fan of laying some of the natures of these problems as being a member of one party or the other party, but I do think the way that we deal with them, right, are different. Um, I think, you know, there are going to be, you know, here in Chicago, you actually had two aldermen rung up for federal charges, you know, both, you know, would identify as Democrats won't even being a daily. So I don't think that either party has a corner on corruption or unsavory characters or people who have sexual proclivities that oftentimes end up being illegal. But I do think that the parties respond differently to them. Mm. And I do think that we end up as Democrats, and I'm thinking about Al Franken, right? I think we might be sacrificing some folks we probably don't need to sacrifice, otherwise good people who are really good. But also, that is why we're Democrats, though, right? Is that we, we have to go to a higher standard. Um, Katie Hill is no longer a member of Congress. And what Katie Hill was accused of is nowhere near what Matt Gates is being accused of. And so whether it's Rudy or Matt Gates, you have a situation where... Republicans talk a good game about morals and ethics and values and character, but when there are when when individuals in that party are exposed as to having none or violating those norms, they're they don't hold their people accountable. Uh, I I would assume that if Rudy were Bill Clinton or Barack Obama's lawyer, um, Democrats would have done a better job of holding him and the people he's associated with accountable. So I, I don't want to act like either party has a corner on any of these, any of this bad behavior. Cause I just think that's kind of a human instinct and that there's going to be corrupt people regardless of ideology. But I do think that the structures that Democrats have are better suited to hold folks, even on their own team accountable when they do wrong. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I don't really have too much to add. The only thing I want to add is you're absolutely right in the sense that um, the trouble that Matt Gates is in right now is not um, moral trouble. It's not he cheated on his wife. You know, Matt Gates isn't not to say that that's wrong, but I'm saying there's nothing illegal about that in our laws. But um, what Matt Gates is doing is like. 20, 25 years of jail time, right? So it's like, if if everything turns out to be allegedly true, right? 
we saw with Andrew Cuomo kind of similar situations, different um, acts of immorality, but we saw the entire New York State delegation say, you need to resign or step aside for now. No, they won't even answer a question about mandates. They won't even answer the question. As soon as he's brought up, they just kind of just... And that goes back to what we were just saying about Republicans. There's no, there's no moral code there. There's no center of what pushes them. They just want to be in power. And they will deny, deny, deny until they're in legal trouble, and then they'll, di they'll ditch it, right? So for now, everybody's has Matt Gaetz's back. When stuff hits the fan, we'll see what happens. But you're absolutely right. Is is We're in a position now where Republicans are so low and they have no moral code that I just don't know how they can continue like this for, for however long. We'll see what happens in 2022 and 24, but it's just not looking good for them overall. All right now, we're, we're getting near the end, and I'm going to throw a curveball your way, but I think you can handle it because uh, we got to go lighthearted, something not as heavy. Um <laughs> is the Bears have a quarterback. <laughs> well, uh, or at least we have someone who, I mean, granted, the problem is I think we've had a few quarterbacks, but once we became Bears, we found out that they were exposed. What is your reaction to the drafting of Justin, as you call him, Soldier Fields? Soldier Fields. Look, he, Bears fan are excited, not because we think he's, the next Patrick Mahomes. He might be a potential franchise QB. We're excited because of the hope, right? Give any sports fan just a little bit of hope. We're going to run with it. Um, there's a lot to be excited here. Justin Fields arguably is the second best quarterback in this draft. He's for sure the best athlete at the quarterback position in this draft. Um, so we're just happy that we didn't screw it up. Does that make sense? And here's, let me tell you my experience as a Bears fan. I'm following on Twitter. I'm watching on ESPN. I see the trade come in. I'm like, okay. They did it. They got it. They got Justin Fields. What a move. Brilliant. And then there was a moment there. I was like, they're going to take Mac Jones. <laughs> they're going to screw this up still somehow. And I held my breath until I saw Justin Fields walk out there. So it's exciting. I'm excited. I don't know if you saw this, but the second round pick Big, big, nasty offensive lineman to protect him. So Ryan Pace, the GM of the Bears, nailed it the first two picks. So I'm excited. And, and who, if, if Justin Fields ends up not being good, it doesn't matter. We still made the right call at the right moment. So is, is Andy Dalton renting or buying? Um, Andy Dalton <laughs> could go to, Navy, go to Navy Pier a couple times and see you later. <laughs> Well, let me just say, and, and it's it's a shame that you don't watch more college football. That's that's the thing that still just puzzles me is that that you're not as big of a college football fan. But I will I will take some bragging rights here, being a a a calling Alabama my ancestral home. Do you know that out of 32 first round picks, six of them wore the uniform of the Alabama Crimson Tide. How badass of a program do you have to be to put in six first-rounders? Six! I'll Dude. take it a step further. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you saw this. The first two rounds, if I'm not mistaken, 20, 21% were Alabama players. Just ridiculous. <laughs> Just ridiculous. Roll Tide. So on that <laughs> note, this is John signing off. This is Fadi Zanadov. Thanks for joining us, guys. See you next week.